You're listening to a Sovereign Hope Church podcast with pastor and teaching elder Adam Vinson. Ephesians chapter 5, we're going to be looking at um, verses 1 and 2 today. I'll read for us our text. It says, Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. There's the idea of imitation that we find in, in chapter 1. Um, it's always funny, to me at least, when you see people that are, are trying to either mimic or imitate other people. Like a lot of people um, have stand-up comedy-type routines that are kind of built around imitation of others, making fun of others, teasing others, certain nuances. I know um, one of Mally's favorite games to play is to have you repeat the things that she's saying. And so she'll say, Dad, talk like me. And so she'll start just saying things. And the expectation is is that I'm supposed to repeat everything that she says, particularly how she says it. And so she'll try to talk in like a high voice or she'll say things in a weird way. uh, And then I'll laugh when I try to imitate her, mimic her. Um, We went to Snowbird with some eighth graders this week from Trinity. And uh, I ended up driving one of the mini buses. And so it was packed full of eighth grade boys. And um, a lot of different cultural type dynamics represented in that bus, but somehow, and, and, you know, so all of us, some of us like to be the one that kind of uh, sets the tone and then others kind of come behind us and mimic us or imitate us, not necessarily in the ways that Mally and I'll talk like each other, but like kind of setting the tone for what we're doing or how we're doing it. So in that bus, like there was a couple of guys who had brought like music and it's brought a speaker and so they were kind of playing music. And they were kind of the driving force of the culture of our bus ride up. And so they were playing different types of music, and they were kind of driving um, how the other boys were behaving in regards to listening to that music. And it got weird at one point because there was a lot of country music being played, um, and then it kind of shifted gears to, like, boy band music. And at one point, like, we're driving down the interstate, and I look look back in my rearview mirror, and there's two guys who have taken their shirts off, and they're singing either in sync or Backstreet Boys because I get those two confused. And I'm just thinking, like, what is going on right now? But, like, the rest of the boys are, like, mimicking and imitating what they're seeing from these two guys that are kind of driving the, the, the entertainment within our bus. Um, we see the concept and the idea of imitation here in um, Ephesians 5, 1 and 2, the idea being that we're to imitate God, particularly in the love that he shows us. And so while... Imitation and mimicking others can be funny and entertaining. There's also a serious aspect to that too. And many of us um, grew up and became the things that we became occupationally because other people in our life invested in us, right? And we desired to be like them. There's plenty of places in the New Testament where Paul and other writers talk about imitate me in the ways that I imitate Christ. Do what I do as you seek to mature and grow in your faith. And what we find today is is Paul specifically referencing the idea that we're to imitate God. We're to, we're to mimic God is really what the original wording is in the Greek language, that we are to mimic God as his children, which is certainly a common thing for us to see imitation uh, from uh, children towards their, their parents, uh, even particularly in the ways that they look, right? Like we, we hardly go anywhere where somebody is not immediately talking about Apollos being my mini-me, that he looks just like me. And uh, that's, that's 
that's kind of an expectation that we would have, right? When, when you've got mom and dad and kids involved, you expect the kids to, to look like the parents, talk like the parents, and even act like the parents, right? To, to grow up and be very much like the parents. And that's kind of the idea that's going on here with Paul is he's, he's playing off the idea that, hey, we are, we are considered the adopted children of God. We ought to be like our father then. If he is our adopted heavenly father, if we have been grafted into his family, we should very much be like him. And so he tells us to be imitators of God as beloved children, to walk in love as Christ has loved us. He gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. Now this ties back into what we were seeing in chapter four. So we don't wanna completely disconnect chapter five from what we were seeing. So let's back up just a little bit and let's read through uh, those final verses in chapter four because this all kind of goes together. So looking in verse 25, therefore having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor for we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Then he goes into chapter 5, verse 1, therefore be imitators of God as beloved children. So there's an aspect here of what he's saying in verse 1, tying back into what he has just said. Do these things. Um, Be known for your commitment to truth. Deal with your anger in a timely manner. Do your work honestly with a goal of generosity. Use your words to advance the faith of others. Treat others in ways that reflect the gospel. Because this is who your heavenly father is. Be an imitator of God as beloved children. Do the types of things that have been listed because they are very much in line with who your heavenly father is. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. He's gonna go on throughout the rest of chapter five talking about some of these key concepts as well. The idea that we're to walk in love because God is love according to 1 John chapter four, verse eight. He's going to go on and talk about how we are to walk in light or walk in purity because God is pure. God is light, 1 John 1, 5. He goes on later in chapter 5 to talk about us walking in wisdom or walking in truth because God is truth, according to 1 John 5, 6. And so the things that he's calling us to be, the things that he's calling us to do, this new self that we're supposed to put on, It's our heavenly father. It's who he is. It's his character that we're to embody now as his followers, be imitators of God as beloved children. What we're gonna really dial in on and see today though is that the motivation for why we do this, the motivation for why we live this way, the motivation for why we imitate God and even the the power that we find to imitate God is tied to how he has treated us. We're called to be kind and tenderhearted and forgiving as God in Christ forgave you. We're to be imitators of God as beloved children, walking in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. So we're really gonna unpack that idea today. Our summary sentence is believers are called to imitate God like a child imitating a father by walking in love and are to remain motivated in showing love to others 
by reflecting upon the love shown to them by the Father. Believers are called to imitate God like a child imitating a father by walking in love and are to remain motivated in showing love to others by reflecting upon the love shown to them by the Father. For our kids were to imitate God who loves us by loving others. And so we are called to imitate God in the ways that he loves us. Just like a child would imitate a father's actions. We're to walk in love and we're to remain motivated in showing love to others by reflecting upon the love that's already been shown to us by him. If we are children of God, then we ought to be imitating our father. And that's a key, that's a key uh, order that we need to see there, okay? We imitate our father because we are his children. We don't try to imitate God to become his children, Okay? And that's a, that's, a, that's a really key understanding of the gospel there. We imitate our father because we are his children. We don't imitate him to become his children, right? If we were trying to do these things, trying to love like God loves and forgive like God, lo- or God forgives in order to become his children, then we've reverted to a works-based type salvation, and that's contrary to the gospel. And really what we even have in verse 2 is a presentation of the gospel, that it's Christ who gave of himself for us on our behalf. He was the sacrifice. And that sacrificial language that we find in verse 2 is tied to the Old Testament, which should draw our attention to the fact that, hey, Christ did more than just come be an example for us. Sometimes people try to minimize the work of Christ and make him simply a supreme example, the best human being that, that we should then strive to be like. He certainly set a great example for us, and we certainly should imitate him. But his example is more than just an example. It's a sacrificial act by him, right? He gave himself for us as a fragrant offering, as a sacrifice to God, because God demands that. He demands that sacrifice, and Christ serves as our sacrifice, right? But if we are children of God, then we should be imitating our Father. What is true about us first is that we have become his children. Then the expectation comes that we would imitate him, not the reverse order. We don't imitate him to become his children. We're not working for his favor We already have his favor because Christ gave of himself for us. He's the offering. He's the sacrifice. We're now his children. We therefore then imitate him as his children moving forward. As his image bears, we are to reflect aspects of his character now that we have been changed by the gospel. So the gospel changes us and empowers us to now live like him, uh, to image him, to imitate him. In back in chapter 4, verse 22, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. We're his image bearers. We've always been his image bearers, but we were broken, tainted image bearers because of sin. And now that we're saved, we're being re-imaged after the image of Christ. And so we seek to imitate our Father because of the work done in us by the gospel. We have the love of God poured into us through the working of the Holy Spirit. This was, uh, I'm going to reference a couple of things that uh, Rob said at Snowbird this week when we were listening to um, different worship sessions. He was speaking on the love of God, which was great because it ties in a lot with what we're saying today. But in Romans chapter 5, verse 5, Verses three through five, he referenced this passage, which uh, I think is so important for us to see. How do we imitate God? How can we even 
love like he loves, well, because he's given us his love, he's poured his love into us by the Holy Spirit. Look what it says in Romans 5, 3. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us, right? So we've talked about how we're sealed by the Holy Spirit. We don't grieve the Holy Spirit who seals us into the day of redemption, right? We talked about that some last week. We have been given the Holy Spirit, and by giving us the Holy Spirit, God pours his love into us. We have supernatural ability to love other people now. It's a fruit of the Spirit, right? Galatians 5.22. One of the fruits of the Spirit is our ability to love other people, right? And it's not something that we have to muster up ourselves. God has given us the ability to love others. He's given it to us through the Holy Spirit. We have supernatural ability to love other people the way God loves us. By walking in love now, we fulfill the law. Romans 13, 8 says that we should owe no one anything except love. And by loving others, we fulfill the law. Okay, so kind of dialing it back into Ephesians chapter 5. We are called to imitate our Father because we are saved, not to be saved, but because we are saved, because the Holy Spirit lives inside of us, because we can now function in a way to fulfill the law, the law that's already been fulfilled for us by Christ. He's our sacrifice, but we can now come as a fruit of his work. The Holy Spirit living inside of us, we can now love other people. We can imitate our Father as his children and love others the way that we're supposed to. That's what's being expected of us now. That's what we're being called to here in verses one and two of chapter five, to imitate him specifically by walking in love, looking to the sacrifice of how Christ loved us, looking to the ways that Christ forgave us. Now, he uses Christ as an example, I think, for two reasons. One, we're to, we're to strive to do it in a similar way. We're to strive to love others and forgive others the way that God loves and forgives us, right? We're to be gospel-minded in the same way that Christ was gospel-minded. He didn't just come because he uh, was told to. He came uh, because he loves us, and he came to save us, to bring the gospel to us. And so we're called to love others and to forgive others, but not just because we've been told to do it. We've been told to do it for a very specific reason, and that's to bring other people to faith in Christ. Okay, so he mentions, I think, so go back to what he mentions Jesus as an example because we're supposed to do it this way. Okay, we're supposed to love others in the way that Christ loved us. But I think he's also bringing up the fact that Christ has loved us and forgiven us as the why we can do it too. That we are freed up to do this when we realize how loved we are and how forgiven we are. And that's the part we're going to continue to unpack today. So you've got Christ being used as an example here. Hey, you're a child of God. Love other people just like Christ loved you. Do it the way that Jesus did and do it because Jesus did it towards you. Okay, so there's, hopefully you can see the two aspects there. We're doing it like Christ did it and we're doing it because Christ did it. Okay, because we are loved, because we are forgiven, we love others and we forgive others and we do it like Christ did it towards us. Okay, so that's what we're gonna kind of unpack today. We're called to imitate God like a child imitating a father, walking in love and are to remain motivated in showing that love to others 
because we keep coming back to the love shown to us by the Father. So two points today. Number one, imitate God by reflecting on his love for you. Okay, this whole, this whole thing starts by us reflecting upon the love that is given to us by our Father. We imitate God by reflecting on his love for us. First, God has fundamentally revealed himself as a God of love and forgiveness. Now, we talked about this. If you, have, if you want to make a note of this or if you want to turn with me back in Exodus chapter 33, we talked about this passage way back when we were uh, looking at um, minor prophets and we were talking about how God had revealed himself in the Old Testament, revealed himself as a God of steadfast love, a God of forgiveness and mercy. Rob referenced this passage too uh, when he was speaking to our kids on the very last morning that we were at Snowbird, talking about the fact that in Exodus chapter 33, Moses comes to God and says, I wanna see you. I want, I want to know you intimately in such a way where I want to see your face. I want to know you, right? Uh, appreciation for faces has certainly been something that we've come to in a renewed way given the, the time that we've spent wearing masks, right? You, you've interacted with people where masks have kept you from really knowing who you're talking to. There's kids this year that I'm seeing, and I feel like I'm seeing them for the very first time. I'm like, hey, are you, are you new to Trinity? No, I've been here since last year. Oh, I didn't see your face very much last year, right? Like now I'm seeing you in a different way, in a renewed way. Moses says, I wanna see you, God. I wanna know you. I don't wanna just hear about you. I wanna know you, right? And so God gives him instructions about how he can't see him. Uh, he can't live to see him, but he does want him to know him in an intimate way. And so he gives him instructions about seeing his glory kind of pass by. And look what it says in Exodus 34, five. This is... Um, where God reveals himself from a character standpoint, how he fundamentally wants us to know him. It says, the Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. You have so much package there in those few short verses about who God is, that he's a God of love, a God of steadfast love, faithful love, a God who's merciful and gracious, slow to anger, right? A forgiving God who forgives iniquity and transgressions and sins, but he's also a God of justice who won't just allow wrong things to be done and then just wipe them away and excuse them without there being some type of justice or penalty served, right? That's where Jesus comes in is that fragrant offering, that sacrifice he was given on our behalf, right? But this is who God wants us to see him as, a God of steadfast love, merciful, gracious, and forgiving. This is the God that we are called to know, back in Ephesians, right? In Ephesians chapter three, this is the God that we are praying that we will know on an intimate, deep level. Verse 14, for this reason, I bow my knees before the father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. Remember, he's praying that the Holy Spirit will be actively working in a specific way in these people. The Holy Spirit that's given to us, 
the Holy Spirit that pours the love of God into us so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Right? Paul is praying that these people would know the love of God, be full of the love of God. Why? Well, we now see it so that we can be an imitator of God, so that we can walk in love towards other people because we are full of his love, love that he has towards us. He has fundamentally revealed himself as this type of God. Number two, he has sovereignly applied his love and forgiveness to those who believe. So we're not just talking about a God who kind of stays out there. He's, a, he's this type of God, but we don't get to experience him. No, he has brought us into that experience. He has made us a recipient of his love, of his forgiveness, of his mercy. He's applied his love and forgiveness to those who believe. We won't take the time to read it, but go back to Ephesians 1, 3 through 14 and see the fact that he has called you, he has saved you, and he keeps you saved. That's, that's how he, he takes his love, who he is, and applies it to us. He's always loved us, and he's always been working to show that love towards us, and he will continue to demonstrate that love to us in a way that keeps us saved until Jesus comes back. He's that type of God. He gives us his love, and he wants us to know that love. It's a love that rests upon us and it always has and it always will. Again, we won't take the time to read it for the sake of time, but in Romans 8, 31 through 39, that's the passage that says that nothing can separate us from the love of God, right? Nothing, no trial, no tribulation, no angelic being, no demonic being, nothing can separate us from the love of God. He's he's a God who has given us his love. We're loved by the Father. John 17, 23 let me read, I will read this one. John 17, 23. None of us would di- dispute the fact that God loves the Son, that God loves Jesus. Look what it says in John chapter 17, verse 22. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them that they may be one even as we are one. Talking about the unity of his disciples, Jesus is praying to his Father. In verse 23, I and them and you and me, that, you, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. I mean, how many times do we think about that, that, that the love that the Father has for the Son is the same love that he has towards us as his children? I mean, we could just stop right there and be done. I can just rest and think and meditate upon that truth that God loves the Son. And Jesus says, I want the rest of the world to see that you have the same love for your disciples, for my disciples, for your children, for your adopted kids. Like the same love, the same love. We have this type of love, this God who loves us. He has given us this love. He's a God of forgiveness. He's a God of mercy. Now, for us to really know him and experience him this way, it means that we first have to see ourselves as people who need forgiveness. And you probably fall in one of two categories. One, we think very little of our sin, right? And we're very spiritually prideful and and don't always think about the fact that we need a God who is forgiving and merciful and gracious. 
And when we do think about it, we need a little bit of that type of God because we don't have a ton of things that need to be forgiven. Or you're probably in the other category where you're so heavily prone to think about your sin that you wonder if it could be forgiven or not, right? So one of two extremes is typically where we fall when we're not walking in the Spirit and thinking properly about God. We think, I don't have a whole lot of sin. That's great that he's a merciful and forgiving and gracious God because some people really need that. Not me oftentimes, right? We don't, we don't say that, but that's how we operate. Or we're in this other camp where it's like, that's great that he's forgiving and loving and gracious. I'm, I'm, I'm thankful that people experience in that way. I don't because I've done a lot of bad stuff that, that can't really be forgiven, right? And we doubt his forgiveness. We doubt his mercy. We doubt his graciousness. Or we kind of take it for granted thinking that we don't need it. Now, 1 John 1, 8 is very clear. We can't deny that our sin, we make him a liar, if we try to deny it, okay? So we have to see ourselves as people who need forgiveness. We also need to see ourselves as people who can be forgiven, right? So we gotta take both of these extremes and bring these people back to the middle, right? You over here, you need to be forgiven. You've got sins even though you don't always think that you do, right? You make him a liar if you say that you don't have sin. So wake up, see your sin, and get back over here and experience the forgiving, gracious love of God. Then this person over here, hey, you still can be forgiven, right? Yes, you've been really bad, but hey, get over here and enjoy the forgiving, forgiving, gracious, loving God because you can be forgiven. It's like the woman at the well, right, uh, who was so ashamed of her sin, right? She's hiding from people. She's coming to the well when she hopes to not run into people because she's ashamed of her sin. Jesus has a conversation with her and she's running back into the town saying, hey, he's told me all kinds of things about myself and he's still talking to me, Right? He's still inviting to me to drink from this well that will, that will dry up my thirst, right? He's, he's, he's still talking to me and he knows all these things about me, right? So, so these two extremes have to come back to the middle and say, hey, we worship the same loving, gracious, forgiving God. I need to see my sin more when I don't see it and I need to let go of my sin when I'm consumed by it, trusting that that fragrant sacrificial offering by Jesus is sufficient to atone for those sins, you need to realize that you're a person who needs forgiveness for you to be a forgiving person yourself. And you need to realize that you've been forgiven so that you feel free to forgive others too. Let me say that again. You need to realize that you're a person who needs forgiveness for you to be forgiving yourself. And you need to realize that you've been forgiven so that you feel free to forgive others too. Why are both of those things so important? Because we are being called to imitate God by being loving people and forgiving people. And the only way we can be loving people and forgiving people is if we have been changed by the love and forgiveness of God, which means we need to buy into the fact that we need it and we need to buy into the fact that we can receive it. So again, either extreme, buy into the fact that you need that forgiveness or buy into the fact that you can receive that forgiveness. Because until you do, you can't, you can't really live out love and forgiveness the way that you're supposed to. Look what uh, Luke chapter 7 says it's a parable that Jesus gives to help his disciples see that really our expression of love and forgiveness towards others is proportionately tied to the love and forgiveness that we've received from God. So let me say it this way. Our, our ability to love and forgive others is proportionately tied to our awareness of the love and forgiveness that God has for us. 
So the more loved and forgiven I feel from God, the more loving and forgiving I'm going to be towards others. And Jesus says this in Luke 7, 36. It says, one of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at table. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. Now, the implication, the way it's written, is that he's saying it to himself, right? Not saying it out loud. He's just thinking this thought. It says, when the Pharisee had invited him and saw this, he said to himself, right? So this Pharisee is watching this play out where this sinful, rejected woman comes in, sits with Jesus, and begins pouring out this expensive ointment and wiping his feet with her hair. And he says to himself, if Jesus was really who he says he is, he would know who she is, what sort of woman she is, who's touching him. She's a sinner. And he would basically implication be tell her to go away, right? Get lost, get out of here. This isn't a place for you. Man, like think about that. Like this, like this is the guy, like this, is, this, this guy is modeling what I'm trying to help you see these two extremes. He's the guy who doesn't see himself as really being much of a sinner, doesn't really need the gracious, forgiving God that God talks about in Exodus 34. But he's also very quick to group people in this other extreme of, you are beyond the forgiveness of God. Like, you need to not be here, right? Verse 40, Jesus answered and said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, say it, teacher. And then he gives him this parable. A certain moneylender had two debtors, one owed, five, one owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon answered, the one, I suppose, from whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Now, don't be confused by this. He's not telling the Pharisee that he's at a disadvantage Right? He's not feeding into the Pharisee's own mindset here and saying, hey, you'll never be able to love me as much as this woman because she has been so awful and she has so much that needs to be forgiven. She will always love me more than you could ever love me. Right? That's not what he's saying. This Pharisee is as sinful as this woman is. He needs the forgiving, loving, gracious God of Exodus 34 just as much as she does, but he doesn't see that. He doesn't realize that. So she will always love Jesus more than this guy ever will until he sees him in her category, right? Until he ever sees himself as needing the loving, forgiving, gracious God of Exodus 34, he will always sit in his own selfish piety and say, why is this woman allowed to be here? She's too sinful to be here. I'm not, I should be here. She should not. Jesus says, you'll never love me like she loves me because you've not been forgiven as much as she has been forgiven because you don't see your sin like she sees her sin. 
So he's not saying, hey, you should probably go out and do a lot of sinful things so that I can then forgive you. Then you can love me, right? Like that's not what he's saying. He's saying, you've already been that guy. You are every much that type of guy as she is this type of girl. You just don't see it. When you do see it, man, you will be broken, right? It's the same situation with the, the two guys at the, um, the temple where one's praying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner, the tax collector. The other guy's saying, God, thank you that I'm not the tax collector, right? You are the tax collector. You are the sinner, You are the one whose sin put him on the cross. And until you see that, you'll never love and you'll never be forgiving like he's called you to be. But once we see that, man, I am a recipient of his love when I don't deserve it. I'm a recipient of his forgiveness when I don't deserve it. But I've been given it anyway. How could I not turn around and love people and forgive people in the same way? Right? That's what's happening here. Be an imitator of God as he has loved you and forgiven you. Our expression of love and forgiveness is proportionately tied to the love and forgiveness we've received from God. Imitate him by reflecting on that love that he has for you. Number two, imitate him by demonstrating a similar love to others. So it starts with us reflecting upon what have we received from him? We've been given great love and great forgiveness. And now he's saying, turn around and give that to other people right? Verse 32 of chapter 4, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Walk in love, verse 2 of chapter 5, as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. Number one, we're to mimic God's love by walking in a pattern of forgiveness. We're to mimic God's love by walking in a pattern of forgiveness. We're to take on the characteristic of love found in our adopted father and grow up in our faith to be like him. In Ephesians 1.5, we learn that we are the adopted children of God. The application of Ephesians 1.5 is Ephesians 5.1, that as his adopted children, we are to imitate him. So 1.5, we're adopted children of God. 5.1, be like your adopted father. Love like him, forgive like him. We're to live contrary to the normal pattern of anger and hatred and revenge. We're to live differently. Luke chapter 6. Luke chapter 6, verse 27. This is the type of love that we're supposed to have. But I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who abuse you. To one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. From the one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who begs from you. And from one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. And as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. If you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. If you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount, but love your enemies, do good and lend expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High, for he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Verse 36, be merciful even as your Father is merciful. It takes supernatural, God-given love to love like that. Because look what he's telling you. He's telling you, The opposite of this is to love people who are like you and who treat you well and do good to you. And that's how unbelievers love. That's how unbelievers love. So if your love taps out at that kind of love, you are doing no more than an unbeliever. 
You go second level, you go supernatural level when you're able to love people who are not like you, who hate you, who abuse you, who sin against you, who wrong you, who become your enemies, and yet you love them and are willing to forgive them. That's when you become like your heavenly father because it was when we were yet sinners that Christ came and was that sacrificial offering for us, right? Not when we were trying to imitate him and love like him and be like him and earning his favor, then he decided to die for us. No, it's when we were in our rebellion, it was when we were in our sin that he came and forgave us and died for us. We're to mimic God's love by walking in a pattern of forgiveness. Unforgiveness is an indicator of remaining self-righteousness in us. Unforgiveness uh, or the presence of unforgiveness proves that we're lacking love. Forgiveness is the supreme evidence of God's love for us and the most convincing proof of our love for others. Let me say that again. Forgiveness is the supreme evidence of God's love for us and the most convincing proof of our love for others. God has given us such unbelievable forgiveness, and we're called to extend similar forgiveness to others. Back in Exodus 34, Rob did a great job of explaining this because he talks about in Exodus 34 how the terms transgression and iniquity and sin are all mentioned, right? And they all basically mean the same thing, but Rob's point was, hey, God's getting at the fact that there's not a sin that falls into a certain category that isn't covered by his forgiveness. And then I'd never seen this before, but in Psalm 51, David, the psalm where he's confessing his sin of Bathsheba, he mentions all three of those terms in the first two verses and says, God, I need you to cover my transgressions and my iniquities and my sins. And you know why he can cry out to that and believe that that's possible? Because he knows the God of Exodus 34. He knows the God who is merciful and gracious and abounding in steadfast love and mercy. Right? And so he's crying out to that God and saying, forgive me because I've transgressed you. I've committed iniquity and sin against you, but you're a God who gets rid of transgressions and iniquities and sins. We're to mimic God's love by walking in a pattern of forgiveness. Now, there's sometimes a check in our spirit where we say, yeah, but this situation's really hard because you don't know what this person did to me. You don't, you don't know the details of this situation, Okay. Let, let, this, let this statement resonate with you for a minute. Nobody can act as badly towards you as you have acted towards God. Let me say that again. Nobody can act as badly towards you as you have acted towards God. And I don't want to minimize what you may have experienced. Right? I don't want to minimize some level of abuse that you may have experienced in the past. Because that is real and that is evil and that is awful. But we minimize our sin against God if we would ever say that this situation is different and does not deserve my forgiveness because of what's been done to me. Right? We either elevate ourselves higher than God and saying that there's actually something that could be done to me because of who I am that would, that would keep me from offering forgiveness, right? Or we elevate the act of sin so highly that we say this sin can't be forgiven, right? No, nobody can act as badly towards you as you have acted towards God. And God has forgiven us of much. Therefore, he asks us and demands of us as his children to turn around and forgive others. 
Don't consider yourself to be better than you are, both in your own sin towards God or the sin that others do to you. As God has treated you, so you treat others. It's what we talked about with the golden rule, right? We are motivated to treat others this way, not because we expect them to treat us the same way back, because they probably won't, but we treat others this way because God has treated us this way. Number two, we're to mimic God's love by walking in a pattern of self-sacrifice focused on the gospel. We're to mimic God's love by walking in a pattern of self-sacrifice focused on the gospel. There's more to, to love than just forgiving other people, right? We don't just sit back and extend forgiveness to people when they wrong us. No, the idea in Ephesians chapter 5 is that we are to actively be walking in a state of love that involves us giving of ourselves sacrificially for the sake of others, just like Christ gave of himself sacrificially for our sake, right? The idea of love here is giving ourselves away for the good of another, giving ourselves away for the good of another. It's, it's what is modeled for us later in this chapter in verse 25 where it says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church, gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the words that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. So there's, a, there's, a, there's an idea here where, where Paul says, hey, the way that we even kind of see how this love works is how we see a husband loving his wife, where he is giving of himself sacrificially to care for her, to take care of her, to love her. That's what we're called to do with others, to sacrificially love, to give of ourselves, to mimic the pattern given to us by Christ who certainly gave of himself, right? John three sixteen. for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. And in 1 John three sixteen, it's great how that works out. Um, easy to remember. 1 John three 16, we're told to, to give of ourselves in the same way. By this we know, love, that he laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers too, right? So, Jesus sets the example. He gave of himself. He died on the cross. 1 John 3, 16, we're supposed to give of ourselves in such a way too. Love, the love we show and the unity we share is meant to be gospel-focused, just like Christ's love for us. We're seeking to love people to Christ through the gospel. And there's going to be truth that has to be communicated, and at times it, it may lead to uh, to to harm and trials for us, right? Because this whole idea of um, sacrificial giving means that it may cost us at times. And when we talk about loving others, we don't mean excusing their sin because what we're gonna see next week is there's a whole section here about sexual ethics, right? And what it means to live as a follower of Jesus in this way. And, and we, don't, we don't hide that and we don't minimize that and we don't excuse that. And we don't let people start to live the way they wanna live and, and just say, well, we're just gonna love them anyways. No, there's an element of truth that comes with loving people too, and that may at times be a sacrifice because we may lose relationships along the way because we love people like we're supposed to. We're seeking to love people to Christ through the gospel. We love others with a sacrificial love that reflects the gospel that we embrace. We're to love them and care for them to the glory of God. But we can't love and forgive unless we've understood the love and forgiveness given to us. That's kind of the prerequisite. To imitate our Father, we have to know our Father. We have to have experienced our Father, right? 
We have to know things about our Father, have, have had a relationship with our Father, and then we can turn around and act like our Father. Our identity truths to remember this morning. Number one, every Christian experiences the great love of the Father made evident by the sacrifice of the Son. Every Christian has that. And number two, every Christian is called to love others as an outflowing of the love experienced from being a child of God. We all have the love of the Father. We've seen that love through the sacrifice of the Son, and we are now called to love others as an outflowing of that love experienced from being his child. Two application points to remember. These notes are always available on our Google Drive if you ever didn't get something down. Number one, what do you do with this as we leave? Number one, we have to keep ourselves in the love of God. Jude 21 says that. It says, keep yourself in the love of God. What does that mean? Well, it means to to stay in a state of being aware of the love of God, being able to see your circumstances through the love of God so that you don't doubt God, you don't question God, right? You see your circumstances through the lens of God's love. Keep yourself in the love of God, always reminding ourselves, never forgetting what he has done, is doing, and will continue doing towards us as his children. Don't lose sight of who he is in Exodus 34. He's a steadfast, loving God, merciful, gracious, and forgiving. Keep yourself in the love of God. And then number two, we must keep our love from growing cold. Matthew 24, 12 talks about in the end times, love will grow cold. Lawlessness will set in and we will do what we want to do. We'll live how we want to live and we will not be obedient the way that we should be. Right? And so we we don't let our love grow cold. And we don't let our love grow cold by remembering our motivation for loving and forgiving others is not how other people have treated us or will treat us, but how we have already been treated by our Father who loves us and forgives us in ways that exceed the hardest situations for us to love and forgive others. He loves us and forgives us to an extent that exceeds any situation we will ever find ourselves in where he's saying, hey, as my child, love and forgive in that situation. We'll never be able to look back at him and say, but God... This one's too much. What's been done is too great, right? Because nobody could ever act badly towards us in a way that exceeds how we acted towards God. He loved us and forgave us, and we've experienced that love. And now we turn around and imitate that love towards others. Let's pray. God, we love you because you love us. We love you because you forgave us. And God, I pray that if we're sitting here and we are not overwhelmed by your love and forgiveness, God, help us to see our sin. Because if we're not overwhelmed by your love and forgiveness, we have missed how great our sin is. God, if we're sitting here wondering, can that love and forgiveness apply to me? Help us to see Christ. Help us to see Christ and help us to see that his love and his forgiveness extends beyond all sins that we could ever commit. God, we thank you for the gospel. We thank you that Jesus came and gave of himself, not just to be a model or an example for us to follow, but he came so that we could follow. He came to make it possible. God, we're not going to leave today striving to love others and forgive others in hopes that you'll love us more or love us back. We already have it. We already have that love. We already have that favor. We already have that forgiveness because of Jesus. Help us to always be mindful of that. And God, help us to operate from that, that uh, position of victory that we are being asked to leave today. 
to love others and forgive others in a supernatural way, not just to love and forgive our family members, not just to love and forgive our best friends, but to love and forgive our coworkers who sometimes we just can't stand. They're our enemies. They work against us and they're hateful towards us. For our students, there's, there's, there's people in the hallways in their classrooms who are mean and, and disrespectful and, and hurtful. And yet you're calling our students to love and to forgive. God, help us to remember that you're, you're asking us to leave today and you're asking us to do something that you've empowered us to do supernaturally. The Holy Spirit lives inside of us and the Holy Spirit has given us your love to pour out towards others. God, help us to remember that we can love and forgive because you have loved us and forgiven us when we were so unlovable, when we should have been so unforgivable. God, because we've been loved and forgiven of much, help us to love and forgive much of others too. Help us to imitate you well this week. We ask for the supernatural power of your Holy Spirit to do so, and we ask, expecting you to do far more than we could ever ask or think in that area. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Sovereign Hope Church podcast. We trust that you've been encouraged by the word. For more information about our church, please visit our website at www.sovhope.org. Again, that's www.sovhope.org.